Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and those who have come into our midst, friends and family, there's a word for us this morning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. And we'll lift up verses 40 through 56 this morning. Luke 8, 40 through 56. The text is printed. If you have your digital um, liturgy, but also on the screen uh, behind me. So please follow along. And this is the word of the Lord coming from Luke 8, 40 through 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on the physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Thus far, the reading of God's word. On the strength of that passage, we want to preach from this title, this topic this morning, the gospel of healing for women and girls, the gospel of healing for women and girls. In a groundbreaking study of 2 million California births from 2007 to 2016, published in January, 
shows that African-American women in that state are more likely to die in childbirth or give birth to babies that die in infancy, regardless of economic class. Researchers found that infant mortality rate for the wealthiest African-American mothers were higher than the poorest white women. In a New York Times article published this February, uh, the writers of that article quote from Sarah Miller, who is a health economist at uh, University of Michigan. She says this, as a black infant, you're starting off with worse health, even those born into these wealthy families. University of Wisconsin economist Tiffany Green asserts, it's not race, it's racism. This points to the fact that structural issues in the medical and health professions work against African-American women and infants. Evidence suggests that African-American infants are more likely to survive if their doctors are African-American. Just this May, former Olympian Tori Bowie died in childbirth. She was once the fastest woman in the world, an elite track athlete, but she was also African-American. She was only 32. This tragedy gives credence to the above-referenced study that it is worse off for African-American women and infants in this country because of racist structural concerns and issues. So what does this have to do with the text just read? Like in Jesus' day, women and girls in Palestinian societies were viewed and treated as, quote unquote, the other. There were second class persons, and sometimes that was manifested even among Jews. Luke here sharpens the focus on Jesus' care and compassion to a woman and a girl. He loved women and girls, and he came not only to heal them, but to save them. The Apostle Paul wrote that there is no Greek or Jew or slave or free or male or female, for all who have been baptized into Christ are one in Christ. There's no gospel for men and boys that excludes women and girls. But the gospel comes to women in their own special contexts as second-class persons in global societies. I'm reminded of the existentialist philosopher Simone de Beauvoir who wrote in the 1940s, The Second Sex, where she argues in that book that historically women have been the perpetual other and that the world sees women and treats women through the lens and eyes of men. But the gospel is a gospel of liberation for women and girls. The gospel does not view women and girls as the perpetual other. The church 
The body of Christ must do their due diligence in recognizing this truth and centering women in the proclamation of the gospel and the service of the church. That's right, centering women. Centering women. I don't know about your church context, but my own church context in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s as a a boy and a young man growing up down in New Orleans, our churches were full of women. Full of women. But most of the time, the preaching and the teaching was through a masculine lens. And even in that, it relegated women. But we must do better. And we must do better following the example of our Savior. If we say we are walking with Christ, we must center women and girls. Now, there's another layer to this narrative. The narrative highlights faith and prayer. It points to the truth that acts of faith are never passive. I want to say that again. Acts of faith are never passive, but highly active. And that prayer joined with faith is a mighty means of grace in our lives. So let's look at the context real quickly before concentrating on the passage just read. In the context, beginning at the first verse in chapter 8, Luke summarizes Jesus' words. I'm sorry, Luke summarizes Jesus' works, pointing uh, that a group of women followed him and helped to finance his ministry. These were women, they're they're mentioned. I'm not going to read that passage, but take a look at it later. These were women that he had ministered to, women that he had even drove demons out of. And as a mark of their gratitude and their love for Jesus, they followed him and they financed his ministry. And beyond this, Jesus was busy. Also, Luke points this out. This is a power-packed chapter. Luke points out how busy Jesus was in teaching and and performing a miracle over nature, quieting the storm in the presence of his disciples, his, his apostles. Casting out a demon of a male. Demons from a man drove those demons into a herd of swine. And because of that, uh, he was asked to leave that region of the Gadarenes. But his teaching, his performing of miracles, was signs. Signs that, authent- uh, that authenticated what he taught and preached. He was showing that he was the Son of God, come to deliver his people from their sin. Again, not only delivering them from illnesses or demon possession, but delivering them from their sin because those miracles pointed to something greater that Jesus would do. That is conquering death, sin, and the grave. So as we approach this text, we see in the first two verses, Jairus approaching Jesus. 
Jairus approaching Jesus. Now, from what Luke writes here in verse 40, when he says, now when Jesus returned, we, we should understand that he is returning to the place where he had drove out those demons in the Gadarene. So he's returning. He was, he was asked to leave and he left, but only for a spell. Now he's back. And, and, and he's back because it seems as though the people were waiting for him. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But as he returns to a place, that place, Jairus approaches him, and, and Luke describes who Jairus is. He, he is a ruler. He is the ruler of the synagogue. Or in modern terms, he's the president of the synagogue. Uh, the, the ruler or president of a synagogue was a layperson who had been elected by the elders of the city. And his job was to maintain the building of the synagogue and also arrange the worship. So, he was an important man in this region, in this place. But I want us to note the urgency of tone that Luke writes with in describing this story. It's urgent. And it's urgent in the sense that Jairus was urgent. Note Jairus' posture as he approached Jesus. He kneels. So it is a, a posture of worship, but it is also a posture of prayer. Is, 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 he, is he uttering a prayer as though we would utter a prayer? No, because the one that he wants to do something is, is in his midst. He is he can touch him, he can feel him, he can hear him, he can smell him. His senses are, are active. But still, this is a posture both of worship and of prayer. And it is driven by his desperation. And also in this posture of prayer, Jairus is actually interceding for his one and only daughter. Now, what's motivating all of this? Besides the fact that he wants his daughter well, why is he approaching Jesus? Now, undoubtedly, he has heard of Jesus. He's heard of this peripatetic, this, 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 this rabbi who goes from place to place teaching and preaching and performing miracles. He's heard of him. And he believes in him. He believes that only Jesus could heal his daughter. Here he is faced with a trial that has no other resolution but to take it to Jesus. Are there times in our lives when we feel an urgency to worship and to pray? I'm not talking about waiting until we get here on Sunday morning. I'm talking about in, in, in two, at 2 a.m. in the morning when we cannot sleep and that thing is on us and is troubling us and, and won't let us go. Do we get out of our beds and fall on our knees? 
and take it to the Lord in prayer. I'm just asking. Are there times in our lives, even in the broad daylight, when we're thinking about that thing or those things that, that, that we are afraid of, that, that is causing us fear and anxiety, are we taking those things to the Lord in prayer? Are we worshiping God? Are we praising God even in the midst of unresolved situations? Jairus was a leading man in this area. Easily, he could have hid behind his position. Easily, he could have put on a face that would have projected to the outside world that he had it all together. And that would have blocked him from seeking the face of Jesus. But we see that he threw off, he threw off those pretensions. He threw off everything, a man of his stature on his knees in public before someone that even his own group, his own circle of Jews and elders of the Jews had some issues with. They had some problems with this new rabbi, this unschooled rabbi. They had problems. But here he is on his knees, worshiping him, begging him to heal his one and only daughter. He was desperate. Yes, he was. he was. He was desperate. Because for the only person he knew could heal and restore his only daughter had come into his region. And he made sure. He didn't care what his friends would have said. He don't care what the community would have said, but he knew that this is his shot. <laughs> and he wasn't going to let Jesus pass him by. I think it was Fanny Crosby, and we sing this here at New City, Pass Me Not, <laughs> O Gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, please don't pass me by. I don't know if there's anybody in the house this morning who's uttered that song, uttered that prayer, and you didn't want Jesus to pass you by. So he prays. He asks Jesus to heal his daughter. But my question for us is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you right now? I ain't talking about when you leave. I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about what do you want Jesus to do for you right now? Or are there people in your lives, people that you love and they're caught up in a situation? It may be of their own doing, it may not be of their own doing, but you want the Lord to intercede on their behalf. What 
do you want Jesus to do for you? It could be for physical healing. It could be for emotional, spiritual healing. It could be for a financial blessing. It could be for all sorts of things. But what this narrative is driving home to us is that we are needy and we shouldn't be ashamed or afraid to get down on our knees and ask the Lord Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So how often do you pray for that thing? Or have you stopped praying? Maybe you've been praying for that thing for a year and, 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 and seems like nothing's happened. And you've been praying for that thing for five years and it seems that nothing has happened. Maybe you've been praying for a whole decade and it seems that nothing has happened, but Jesus encourages us right now to never cease to pray. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Because in the prayers, we are growing in our maturity. In our prayers, we are relying less on ourselves and more on the Lord Jesus Christ. In our prayers, something is happening on the inside. The Spirit is working on us, making us and shaping us and molding us. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. This portion of the narrative also demonstrates our faith in the power of Christ. We don't pray as though we're on this cosmic mission, this putting it out there for the universe to hear. And that maybe if the stars are aligned right, if, 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 if we in if, if we're in, if, if we in uh, Virgo rising or whatever, Libra descending, that things are going to work out for us. I, 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 I know some of y'all be into that astrology. But that's not what faith in the power of Jesus Christ is about. He's revealing to us what he can do. Jesus does not only have the power to heal and to save, but he is loving and he's compassionate. That's the thing that we oftentimes forget. If we are sons and daughters of God, our Savior's disposition toward us is always good. It's always good. If we are praying with the right motivation, and James teaches us, don't pray for things that are missed, meaning that don't pray for things out of the wrong motivation, then we know that we have what we ask for. Jesus repeats that in his Olivet Discourse in the Gospel of John. Ask anything in my name, says Jesus. And he says, I will do it. Ask anything in my name. He loves us. 
cares for us. Now, that's Jairus' approach to Jesus. Now, let's look at a healing by faith along the way. A healing of faith along the way. Jesus agrees to accompany Jairus. But along the way, a miraculous healing occurs. Verse 43 notes how popular Jesus was in this region. Again, he had left, but he'd come back. And the people were waiting on him. So Jesus is approaching at this point in his ministry, the height of his ministry. He's not there yet, but he's approaching the height of his ministry. Now, in this, in this mini-narrative, in this interlude, we might say, of the larger narrative that we just read, Luke causes his readers to feel the pressure of the throng of people rushing to Jesus, buffeting Jesus, probably begging him, calling upon him for different things because the man that had taught so well, the man that had performed this, this, this miracle, casting out demons out of this man and putting the swine, the swine running over the cliff, he's back. We've been waiting for you, Jesus. Because we have a lot of needs that need to be met. But out of the masses comes one woman. And Luke focuses on her story here. Like Jairus, she's desperate. Like Jairus, she had heard about Jesus. But unlike Jairus, who's interceding for his daughter, this woman is interceding and advocating for herself. The story is it's before us. This is a woman who had been hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years. She had, basically, she gave testimony to this. That's, that's, the, that's the assumption here in the text because when she was found out, she, she, she told everybody why she had touched Jesus. So she gave her testimony. It's like we heard Sister Peggy give her testimony last week. She was giving testimony before the people and before Jesus. She was in a desperate situation because there had been no cure for her ailment. And this particular ailment was particular to a woman. Hemorrhaging. 12 years, seeing doctor after doctor after doctor, spending all the money that she had. Luke wants us to put ourselves in this woman's position. What would you do if you had this ailment or any type of ailment and the doctors have just Wash their hands of it, saying there's nothing that we can do for you. I hope you have a plot. I hope your insurance is paid up. There's nothing that we can do. Take care. Good luck. What would you do with that type of report? 
And you know that this rabbi that people have been talking about is back in town. Would you, would you say that, well, I've gotten all these negative reports for 12 years, and this condition that I have hasn't stopped yet. There's nothing I can do, and I don't believe that this man would even care for me and my condition. Why would he? He's, he's a man. What, 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 what does he know about a woman's body? Uh, he, he's a man in, in Palestine, and, 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 and there are ways that men deal with women in Palestine. Why would he care? But that Jairus who threw off all the pretensions, this woman's faith is driving her to, to claw through the, cloud, the crowd and, 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 and says that if I can just touch the fringe of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. And this conversation that, that Luke records for us is, is, is one of the classic conversations in all the Gospels. Jesus is being pushed around. People are trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus is walking, trying to get to Jairus' house. And then he stops and asks seemingly an illogical question. Who touched me? Who touched me? Peter's like, Master, you got hundreds of people around you. What are you talking about who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He says, no. <laughs> this, this was no ordinary touch. Uh, this was no common touch because I, I, I felt the power come out of my body. I felt, and the King James said, I, I felt the virtue come out of my body. Somebody touched me. And somebody has just been made whole. And then the woman, she reveals herself and Jesus declares to this woman, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Her faith. Her faith. Just one touch. She knew Jesus' power. Just one touch. And she knew that she could be healed. And I want to ask us, do we have this type of faith? Do we have this type of faith that all we need is just one touch of the master? I don't think you don't. Don't think you don't. We're all going through this. We're all going through that. And we all need just to reach out and touch Jesus. Just one touch. We're all broken. We're all flawed. And we need one touch. And Jesus is our source of wholeness. He gives life, and he gives life more 
abundantly. This passage gives us the encouragement to touch Jesus with our needs. He is our great high priest. And I love what the writer says. He is, in the Hebrews, he is our great high priest who can be what? Touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Whatever we need, reach out and touch Jesus. Andre Crouch put some lyrics in this woman's mouth a long time ago. We just sang this song back home. We used to sing, he's got the power. That's right, Brother George, he's got the power. Andre Crouch used to sing, oh, it is Jesus. It is Jesus in my soul, for I have touched the hem of his garment, and his blood has made me whole. I don't know about you this morning, but when I was broken and flayed and laid out in my sin, I had to look up, and in my spirit, I touched Jesus. I remember that night, and my life has never been the same. I reached out and touched him, and he has made me whole. And I believe there are some witnesses here this morning who can testify that when you were at your lowest and when you were in your darkest of night, when the flood waters were coming over your head and you were sinking and rising and not able to rise, that you just looked up and with the eyes of faith, you touched Jesus and he has made you whole. And finally, in this passage, Jesus' compassion to a dead girl. So after this episode, Jesus is still headed to heal Jairus' daughter. But there's a change in the situation. Somebody reports to both Jesus and Jairus that the girl is dead. He says, trouble the master no longer. It's dead. It's fini. It's over. She's dead. You asked him to heal your daughter while she was still alive, but she's dead now. It's done. From a human perspective, it's over. But Jesus had other plans. And I imagine that he could sense Jairus' despondency upon hearing that his daughter was dead, his only daughter. She's dead now. But Jesus doesn't let him talk. Jesus immediately encourages Jairus, and he says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So Jesus demanded Jairus to have faith, and by implication, he's also demanding Jairus' wife to have faith, because she's around too. But I'm going to ask this question, faith in what? The same faith that compelled Jairus to seek out Jesus. That's the faith. Faith in the power and compassion of Jesus. Faith that Jesus 
can not only heal, but to raise this girl from the dead. It's faith directed and pointed to Jesus. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in faith. There is is a faith that that is spirit-driven, spirit-induced, but there's another type of faith that is secular faith, faith in science, faith in academia, faith in politics and politicians, faith in other types of processes. We're not talking about that, that, that type of faith. We're talking about faith that is informed, faith that directs itself solely to the one who can do whatever he wills to do. And in this here, Jesus reveals clearly of what he intends to do. He's going to make this girl well, even though she's dead. Just as Jesus called Jairus to have faith in what seems to be the impossible, he calls us to have the same quality of faith. Yes, that thing, that issue in your life that it seems is impossible to go away, Jesus is calling you right now to have faith in him and he will make it well. But he cautions us, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be afraid. Well, you know, I've been dealing with this for a long time and, and, and it's still with me. Do not fear, do not be Afraid. Well, well, you just don't know. You just don't know who, who, who I'm dealing with. You don't, you don't know how, how awful my husband is. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. You, 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 you don't know how he treated me. You don't know how she just dogged me out. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Have faith. Well, I got all these bills, and I only make $12 an hour. I, I, I got more bills than I got paid. How am I going to get out of this? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Have faith. Have faith in the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have faith in the one who has more medicine in the hem of his garment than all the drugstores in Grand Rapids. Have faith in the one who loves you and gave himself for you. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Again, what do you want Jesus to do for you? I keep coming back to that question because I think we need to rehearse that in our minds. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to work out? We don't sing that here, 
We don't sing this here, but we sing it back home. Jesus will work it out. Jesus will work it out. You know, whatever you need him to do, he'll he, he, he work it out. Yeah. Work it out. You know, when, when, when you're sick, work it out. When your bills are due, work it out. You know, we, 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 we say that back home. That's some good theology because Jesus will work it out. He will work it out. But we are called to have faith. So, why does Jesus in this passage refrain others from joining him into the room where the girl was lying? There was just this grieving party that, that was there. And there, were, there were people in this day that, that were professional mourners. When somebody died, they would come to the house and they would mourn. They were professional mourners. Those of you who've watched Good Times over the years, you know that you know the character named Weeping Wanda. Weeping Wanda. Every funeral, Wanda would show up and she'd start crying at the drop of a hat. Weeping Wanda. So there were a bunch of weeping Wandas around after they found that this girl had died. And Jesus said, he, 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 he told them, he said, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. And how did they respond? They laughed them. They laughed them to scorn. And Jesus said, well, I ain't got time for y'all. Y'all, y'all, y'all stay where y'all are. So he called in Peter, James, and John and called in Jairus and called in Jairus' wife. Y'all come here because I want y'all to witness this. And he only said two words. He only said two words. We don't know. And, and, and he, he took her by the hand. He took her by the hand and he said two words, child, arise. Child, arise. And the text says, and, and her spirit returned and she got up at once. It was an instantaneous resurrection in this sense. She was now alive. The girl that was sick, Jairus went to her because she was dying, and Jairus didn't get what he wanted, but he got something even greater. He got a dead daughter back to life again. And all the faithful in that room witnessed this miracle. They witnessed Jesus' power over physical death. They witnessed his care for people who believed in who he was. They witnessed Jesus' care for a little girl. So to my sisters, to my sisters, Jesus knows your context. He knows your particular challenges as women in this society. He knows your particular challenges as women in the church. He knows the predative behaviors of men. He knows the misogyny that you face. He knows the sexism that you face. And for sisters who are black and brown, he knows the racism. He knows the colorism. He knows how those things are interconnected to sexism and misogyny. The bottom line is that in your context, in your challenges, Jesus knows. But the good news this morning is not only that he knows, but Jesus cares. He cares. He cares for your bodies. He cares for your souls. And he's able to save. He's able to live.
liberate. He's able to deliver because he died for you. He died for you when he was on that cross. The 12 saved John, cut and ran. But who was around the cross in Jesus' dying hour? It was the women. It was the women who followed him. It was the women who financed his ministry. It was the women who loved him. They never abandoned him. And again, the good news is that even now, Jesus, who has died and was buried and raised on the third day morning, he is ascended on high. He has not abandoned you, my sisters. He's not abandoned you. I know it seems that some sessions and some presbyteries have abandoned you. But be encouraged. Jesus has not abandoned you. It may seem as though some pastors have gotten away with some ugly and nasty things. But Jesus has never and will never abandon you. And he knows your hurts. He knows your cares. He knows your concerns. And just as he healed a woman who had a particular female issue and healed and resurrected a little girl, he will never abandon you. In fact, your healing is in Jesus. Your healing is in Jesus. Your healing is in Jesus. Your healing is only a touch away. A touch away. A touch away. So be encouraged. Don't stop praying. Be encouraged. Don't stop leaning in. Be encouraged. Keep on pressing the issues that are issues to you because Jesus loves you. He has died for you. He has filled you with his spirit and he loves you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that as a people, as the body of Christ, we have failed in many arenas in terms of loving and caring for our sisters well. So, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and fill us with your spirit to see the concerns of our sisters and to be diligent in loving and caring well for our sisters. We pray, Lord, that you would rise up, continue to rise up, raise up women in our midst, who will speak truth to power, who will rebuke us, who are men who fail to see their concerns and their challenges. Lord, we pray that as a local congregation that we forsake worldly culture that has seeped and is, and is so ingrained in our churches, cultures of misogyny, cultures of sexism, a culture of women being invisible, girls being invisible. So we pray right now that you would redirect us 
Make us whole, O oh Lord, from the inside out. We pray that every woman and girl in this place would flourish. In your name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.